Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of James. James, the fourth chapter. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the seats there, it's page uh, 1013. This is the third part of a three-part series of uh, kind of a sub-topic that I believe James is discussing here about conflict. Uh, He started this um, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Uh, building off the background, of course, of the other uh, the text or the other parts parts of chapter three of wisdom from above and earthly wisdom, or uh, people making decisions on unspiritual uh, thinking and wisdom, and then he asked the question in chapter four, verse one. He says, "Well, where do the fights come from, and where do arguing come from among you?" And you've got to remember that he's preaching or he's writing rather to a group of Christians that were probably part of his church in Jerusalem, but who are now scattered abroad. And so he's, he's writing out to these people whom he loves very much. And he's identifying some of the things that, that had uh, some errors or some, some difficulties or some conflicts in their lives. And so he's trying to help them. Uh, James is uh, always a pastor to these people. He loves these people and he desires to see them grow and I can understand that feeling and he's sometimes he has to say some things that are hard to take and sometimes he's very complimentary in the book sometimes he uses sarcasm in the book and sometimes he uh, almost seems like he has a smile on his face and there's just a lot of emotion here as he writes this book and if you read it you can kind of see that now, in the first two parts of this sub-series about uh, con- uh, uh, crushing conflict there, we saw that his advice for the, uh, crushing this conflict, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, and first of all, the understanding of the reality of conflict, and we saw that that was unfulfilled desires, or a conflict that was based on desires, and that could be unfulfilled desires, or inappropriate, or unspoken, or wrongly motivated desires. Either way, or however it was, he gives those four options there, but conflict starts by having unfulfilled desires. And he talked about how that, that conflict has terrible effects. Of It makes us as if we are unfaithful to God. And he uses the word adulterous people there. And he takes no joy. James takes no joy in, in, in talking this way to the people whom he loves. But he needs to get their attention. He needs to have them understand that when we do not obey God and when we do not follow God and we are disobedient to him, it is as if we are an unfaithful spouse. And so he calls this terrible effect on faithfulness there, but then he continued on and talked about how that we act as enemies of God and then finally that we were opposed by God. And he presented a solution there. It's humility and more grace from God. Last week we looked at how that James then, he, he began to teach them about repentance in verses 6 through 10. And how repentance is a lifelong activity and a posture for every believer. And so the repentance is something that that needs to be on our minds and in our hearts at all times and every day. Because we sin against God. And last week we saw how repentance involves resisting the devil. The promise that he will flee from you. Running to God and then the promise that he will draw near to you. And then we said we need to remember the stench of sin Understanding how terrible sin is. Be wretched, mourn, and weep, verse 9. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
We need to remember how awful sin is and how bad it is and why God hates it and why it is terrible in the fact that it caused Jesus to die on the cross. It's terrible. But we go through that stench of sin. We remember how bad it is because of verse 10. Then we would experience the exaltation of the Lord. Then we experience the grace. Then we experience the joy that we have. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And David had, and when he was writing in Psalm 51, he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. We do not have joy in salvation until we remember what God has really saved us from. And my concern is is that for those of us who are very familiar with the gospel, those of us who are very familiar with the word, and those of us who are very familiar with a relationship with Christ, my concern is this, is that we forget the awfulness of sin and thereby lose the joy of salvation. And this is manifested by when we go into petty conflicts and, and, and quarrels and fights. And this is what James is dealing with. He's saying, have you not, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? This brings us to the last part of this little subsection here in James in verse 11. As he says, here's how to crush conflict. Verse 11 says this. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. And judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So finally here, what James gives us, he gives us one more command of how to crush conflict. And as he says this, stop speaking against one another. And the word there, brothers, as you can see in verse 11 and then following in this text here, it's the word that actually includes all people. And so this is not gender specific. He's talking about brothers and sisters here. He's saying, you know, fellow Christians, whether it's a male or a female, whoever this is, stop speaking evil against one another. The way it's written, it's written in the present tense. And so there's the idea that this was going on as he's talked about it. It's written in plural. So it was happening across many people. And so he was saying, you all, all of you need to stop doing this. Because a common cause of conflict is slanderous speech. James wants his readers to avoid this type of speech. But he does more than just command that his readers stop treating each other in this manner. He goes deeper than that. And it reveals what is really going on when we involve ourselves in slanderous speech against each other. When we speak evil of one another, James here gives us an insight of what is actually happening here. And let me share that with you this morning and show you what James has for us here. Number one, if you're taking notes, um, is this. Indisputable fact number one. I'm going to give you three indisputable facts from this text. Indisputable fact number one, our speech reveals our heart. Our speech reveals our heart because it's not enough for James to simply say, okay, you just, just stop. Just don't say anything. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's a good maxim to live by. It's, it's good to have. But James is concerned with something deeper here because he's revealing the heart here. And, and I believe God is concerned with something a lot more deeper than this. 
And so James is referring to a habit of life, not an occasional misspoken word. The way he writes this, he says that you are doing this in a continual way. And so he's not saying that there's a misspoken word that you apologize for and you seek reconciliation for. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is that there's a habit of life that is easy to adopt where we can be very critical of other people and we can use our words to speak in such a way that would run people down or or bring people low or, or point out their faults or, or be a judge over them. And so what James is saying here is saying, look, stop making that your habit of life. And what he's doing here is he's saying that this is, a, this is common. This is for Christians because this is not something that, it, that it, once you're a believer in Christ, you become immune to. In fact, rather, actually, it becomes one of the great temptations of the Christian life is to be, is to stand in judgment of somebody else and to have a critical spirit of somebody else. Because we know the truth. You know, I think of what, what uh, Song of Solomon, or uh, excuse me, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. He says, with much knowledge comes sorrow. What was he saying? He was saying that the more you know, the, the more you're accountable for. The more you know, the more that, that you understand things about the, the positives and the negatives about things. I mean, think about this from a, from a child's standpoint. How does a child view the world? The child views the world, they're fearless. They don't have cares in the world. My, my little son, my, my, my little son Isaiah, is, is uh, next month, uh, he will be a year old. And um, if he were to be up here on this platform crawling around, he would come to the edge here and he would just keep going. And, and he would just, you know, he'd be like one of those old slinkies. Right to the end. Why? Because he doesn't know any better, right? Last week when I was preaching, I don't know if anyone noticed this or not, but I was preaching at one point in the sermon, I, I like went too far, and I was like, whoa. Um, why? I know that if I fall, that even though it's not that high, um, I'd probably break something, okay? Because why? I know I, I'm more mature than my son. I know that there's dangers in things. So as a Christian, we know truth. As a Christian, we understand things. We, under, we, we, we know what the Word of God says. And sometimes what that does, instead of informing us and pointing us to Christ and bringing us a spirit of humility, actually it can puff us up. Paul says knowledge puffs up, right, in 1 Corinthians? And the more we know, if we're not careful, if we don't use the truths of scriptures to point back to ourselves, to teach us, to shape us more like Christ, they just become ammunition bullets to fire at other people. Not the intention at all. And so he's saying, don't develop this habit of life here. Don't just develop this habit of life where you have this critical spirit towards other people or you have this constant uh, uh, speaking evil about somebody else and running them down. Don't do this. And the parallel, James's parallel here of the spoken word and the judgmental heart shows that he sees them as connected here. Did you notice that he says, look at this, he says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. Okay, so he's connecting the two. So he says, if the one who's speaking or he's judging him speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And so he says, he's saying, look, this is, this is indicative of a heart disposition. This is di- indicative of where your heart is at in this moment here. And when we speak evil of someone else, that we are standing in judgment of that person and our heart is not in a, in a, right, ma- in a right place towards that person. We're to show them love. We're to show them grace. And we're to try to point them to truth and bring them to where they need to be. And sometimes that does mean pointing out error. 
Sometimes that does mean saying, look, stop doing this. But it's never in a way of judging or condescension or looking down or trying to run that person down. How many times in our speech do we do that? Let me play the scenario for you. You get home from work. Spouse says, how was work today? Oh, wow. What was that about? What, what happened? My boss, I don't know how in the world he got to be manager of, of this branch. The guy, I, he doesn't know his head from a hole in the ground. I, I mean, the, the decisions this guy makes, I, I mean, my four-year-old could run this place better than he could. You see what we're doing there? We're running this person down to our spouse. What does that do to our spouse in their opinion of that person? We say, well, I, you just need to vent sometimes. Well, you know, I, I understand that feeling because I'm human too, and I struggle with that feeling as well. But I also know what Proverbs says, and Proverbs says a fool gives full vent to his feelings. So we need to be very cautious about this because when we speak, much more is going on than we realize. We are putting, putting on display our heart. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. A very similar text, Matthew 12, 34 and 35, 33 and 34. Either make the tree good, or its fruit good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit bad, and the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. He says, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I am not preaching the sermon here as someone who has totally mastered this. This is something that, that, that God has been working in my heart about. In fact, I think I maybe shared this with you before. I can't remember. But or a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, towards the beginning of the year here, we were having our staff meeting, talking about goals and things like that. And one of the things I asked the staff to do, I said, look, if you could help me, I, I, I'm prone sometimes to a complaining spirit. And I start complaining about things. And, and that's dangerous. And so please help me make sure I don't do that. And so if, if, if we're talking about something and I start going to a complaining route, you have my permission to say, Jeremy, stop. Because that's complaining. And, and when we complain, that's very, I mean, the next step is to speak evil of somebody else. Because we can complain about a situation, but we're never satisfied there. We have to go and make personal attacks. Because we have to justify our feelings, right? We have to justify why we feel this way. And so it's, it's surely someone else's fault. And, and it's because they're making me feel this way and they're doing this and their incompetence. I just can't handle. And so I speak evil of that person. So as I, 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 in all transparency, this is something that I believe all of us, myself first and foremost, we need to work on. That we do not speak evil of one another because this builds conflict. This contributes to conflict. So our speech reveals our heart. And so how we speak to or about someone reveals much more than we think. And understand this, conflict will always enter your home. It will always enter your workplace. It will enter our church when we are not careful with our speech. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. There's much written about the tongue and about the speech in the Scriptures. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 11, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. What is he saying there? What is all this saying? He's saying that what we say is so important. And how we speak to one another, how we speak about each other will cause conflict if we're not careful. And if it's not used to build people up. Now, we're going to have to deal with error. We're going to have to deal with conflict. We're going to have to deal with uh, misunderstandings and things like that or, or a difference of opinion on things. But we must always do so in a spirit of love and patience and trying to build people up and being willing to talk with one another. So, indisputable fact number one here that James has for us is that our speech reveals our heart. Number two, the second indisputable fact is that our heart is prone to a judgmental disposition. So our speech reveals our heart. Now we need to know about our heart. Our heart is prone to a judgmental disposition. Consider the context of James here as, as we go back here and, and we see this, this uh, judgmental disposition in verses one, excuse me, chapter one, verses six through eight. We show a judgmental disposition by our tendency to doubt God. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And so he's given the, the, uh, uh, the example there of asking of God for wisdom, but he says, don't doubt him. We're prone to doubt God. And it shows a judgmental disposition that we think we know God better than what, he, than, than, uh, than what we really do, or we stand in judgment of him. We show a judgmental disposition by our tendency to show partiality. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he says, Don't show partiality, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so when we, when we show partiality towards people, we show that our heart has this judgmental disposition. He talks again, moving on to verse 8 of chapter 2, he talks about that we have a judgmental disposition when our tendency is to ignore the royal law. Now, this verse here is very important understanding our context where we're at this morning. And I'll point that out in just a second here. But in verse 8, it says of chapter 2, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And convicted by the law as transgressors. And so if we do not love our neighbors ourselves, the royal law here that he says, if we do not do that, then we're showing that we have a judgmental disposition. Because we are at that point saying, you, this person is not worthy of my love and my respect and my care. I've made myself judge over him. Think about how many times we make judgments about people and we don't know the full story. We don't know the facts. We ignore this royal law. 
We show a judgmental disposition by our tendency to forget that we all stumble. Chapter 3, verse 2, he says, for we all stumble in many ways. Earlier, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a stricter judge, uh, with, with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. He says, don't forget that we all have weaknesses. We all have blind spots. We all have places where we stumble and fall. When we forget that, and we want to keep everyone else to a higher standard than which we ourselves are willing to keep ourselves to, then we're having a judgmental disposition. So the point is, is I just wanted to show you even all that he's been saying throughout this book up to this point. He's been saying, look, guard your heart. Because if we're not careful, we are prone to this judgmental disposition towards other people. We have this, this need to make ourselves feel better. We have this need to justify our feelings and our actions. Even, even if we don't have the full story, even if we don't have all the facts, we still want to validate what we are feeling in the moment. And so by doing them, so what we do is then we cast judgment on other people without having the full story. And we all do it. We all do it. We're prone to this because this is the bent of our heart apart from Christ. And so the context of James is that it shows that our heart is prone to a judgmental disposition. Now consider the context of your own life. How easy it is to assume that you know the motives of people around you. How easy to to, uh, have this understanding that, that we know the full story without having the conversation yet. Happens all the time. Now, when it says here, look in, in our text, it says, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, what is he talking about there when he says this law here? Now, there's, there's difference of opinion, as you could well imagine. But what makes the most sense from the context of this book here is, again, talking about how James summarizes the whole law. And we saw that in chapter 2, verse 8. And this, this royal law that would summarize everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, when Jesus was asked a question, he was asked a question by the lawyer. He says, okay, what is the greatest commandment of all? Then he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second one is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what Jesus was saying in his answer to the lawyer there, he was saying, look, if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you love your neighbor as yourself, then you will fulfill all the law. And so the law is contingent upon these two things. These are the greatest commandments right here. Now, James, he summarizes it even further when he just says, love your neighbors yourself. Now, why would James do that? Is he, is he diminishing love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Absolutely not. Because what James knows is that you cannot love your neighbor as yourself unless you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And so what he's saying here, he's saying this law here, this is the royal law. This is the summary of, of, of keeping the law before God. This is what we must do. Now, let's take that knowledge of this context of this book, place it into this section right here. And he says, the one who speaks against a brother judges his brother speaks evil against the law. What law? Loving your neighbor as yourself. He says, if, if, you, if you speak evil of someone else, you're not loving them like you would love yourself. I mean, if someone had an issue with you, what would you like? Would you like them to make a judgment about you without talking to you? Without conversing? Without, without getting the story? 
without seeking reconciliation, without maybe assuming the best of that person like 1 Corinthians 13 tells us to do? Or would you want people just to make their, their judgment? Or would you want them to talk to you? He says, love your neighbors yourself. And so if we do not do this, if we're speaking evil of somebody, if, if, if you know, I, you know I, I just can't stand Ben here, you know, um, um, you know, and, you know, and, and I just, every time I see Ben, I, I just tell my wife, you know, his haircut just drives me insane. You know, I mean, you, you, come on, you know, or, you know, I've, Ben's a good friend of mine, obviously. But what am I doing? I, I'm speaking evil of him. Or if I, if, if I say this, if I say, you know, yeah, he obviously does not love the church. He just doesn't love the church because, you know, he missed uh, the Tuesday night Bible study. This last Tuesday night, you know, I ended up canceling it, by the way. But anyway, um, you know, he just doesn't love the church. I just can't, I, I don't know how Ben can call himself a Christian at this point. I am casting judgment on him, and I don't know the full story. I am I'm making sweeping, you know, judgments about him. Um, obviously, Ben loves the church. He sits on the front row. So there's, there's, the, there's the standard, right? But you get my point, right? You know, the context of our life, if we consider the context of life, how easy is it to rush to judgment about somebody else? To assume that we know everything that's going on. You know, I, I can remember several times of having a feeling about somebody or making a, a, a judgment about somebody. And then when I find out the full story, I thought, oh, boy, I was wrong on that. Some people... They've said, um, uh, I remember someone saying something about a friend of mine, um, saying she's not very friendly, and she complains. And um, what they didn't know is that this woman had chronic pain all the time. But she didn't broadcast it. People said, she, just, she doesn't smile a whole lot. She's just kind of grumpy all the time. And then I was able to say, well, did you know that she struggles with this? That she has this condition? Oh. But all of a sudden, that changed the thing, right? More information. Okay, man, if I was in chronic pain all the time, if I was just constantly feeling this way, yeah, it might be hard to be always smiling. Um, I remember... Uh, um, when I was uh, first a youth pastor, I was 20 years old, and um, I remember uh, saying about the pastor's wife, I remember thinking, this lady does not like me at all. She just, she, she can't stand me. So, so why do you say that? I said, every time I try to talk to her, she ignores me. I mean, she, she just kind of looks at me, does a little kind of smile, but doesn't answer, moves on. I, 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 this lady hates me. And I said, Jeremy, she's deaf. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> did I tell you how wonderful the pastor's wife was? <laughs> I was making judgments about her, and I didn't have the full story. This is, think about how common this is, how often we do this. I can tell you as a pastor who, who knows more about people in their lives, people have greater struggles than you can imagine. People who you think everything is fine, everything is great, they're struggling because they're a, they're a sinner trying to, trying to walk this life. 
And you have struggles too that other people don't know about. But where does this happen? I was thinking about where does this, you know, where do we see this the most? And I ran across this quote from George Stolak, who's the pastor of Memorial Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, and he said this. I put it on the screen. He says, I observe it happened in the church today, this is this, this slander speech, with particular frequency in three areas. Judging motives behind others' words and actions in church business. Judging how others spend money. Judging how others are rearing their children. Judgmentalism needs to be confronted in specific areas such as these so that we can see how we're doing it. We make judgments about others when we have listened and understood too little about them. James wrote earlier in the epistle, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I think George is right. I think he's right there that those are three areas where we're is very quick to make judgments about things. And um, those are hot topic ish, uh, items there of how we do things, how, how are decisions made in the church? Um, do we know the full story there? How other people spend money? We see someone pull up in a new car and we're just like, man, wow. Hey, well, I hope they get into debt too much over that. We don't know the story. I told you the story of a friend of mine who, who is struggling uh, to make ends meet um, and would get people dirty looks at her because she was using uh, a state aid for groceries and things like that, but she had an iPhone. And people say, well, man, if you can afford an iPhone, you, you should be able to afford your own groceries. I shouldn't have to pay for them for you. What they didn't know is that her mom bought her that phone and paid for that phone so that she could send pictures and stuff of their grandchildren and they could FaceTime and talk and, and communicate. So we make so we make, how people spend money, how people choose to rear their children. There are so many different uh, uh, ways to rear children. Let me tell you, uh, my wife and I have become increasingly less judgmental the longer we have children. <laughs> and by the fact that most of you laughed at that, you know what I'm talking about. You know, I, before I had children, I I knew how to parent. I, I I knew how to parent. And my kids, you know, they were going to, I mean, you know, it was they were gonna be the model children. Now I just hope that, you know they stay out of jail. Okay. Um, you know, I, I'm serious. You know, I mean there are days, you know, Nook and I look at each other and we're just like you know, we love our kids like our next breath. Don't don't get me wrong, and you all understand what I'm talking about. But there are days where we're like do we know what we're doing here? Um, we make judgments about other people, though. This is true in churches all over the place, and unfortunately it's true in our church because we're sinners, and our hearts are prone to this judgmental disposition. You need to realize that. And if you, and if you think your heart isn't prone to this, this disposition, you're kidding yourself. We are prone to having a judgmental disposition. So we're quick to judge others, particularly those in authority, our government, work, church, etc. Let's be very cautious about that. Now, do leaders make bad decisions? Absolutely. But have the conversation with them. Before casting judgment about someone, have you talked with them? Have you heard their side of the story? When someone makes a judgment without talking with that person, what they're showing is that they're really not interested in truth. They're interested in just having their opinions validated by themselves. You know, one of the most frustrating experiences I ever went through was uh, right after my wife and I got married. 
my my wife and I we were we were married and uh, we had a two week honeymoon and we came back. I was youth pastor of a church at, uh, at the time, and uh, we came back and I talked with the pastor, a friend of mine. I said I said I said hey, how are things going here? You know, and he was it was he had just come about four months previous to that. So he was still getting acclimated to the church and things like that. And I mean, he had known the church because he was a missionary sent out from the church, but he came back to pastor the church. And, and so I said, Hey, how are things going? And, and he said, he said, well, you know, we got a little bit of tension going on, a little bit of controversy right now, but I, I think it'll be okay. And what I didn't realize and what he didn't realize at the time, it was actually much deeper uh, than we thought. And uh, we went through uh, a, a pretty bad church split um, where there were a lot of accusations made, a lot of people saying things. And, and uh, all said and done, I resigned, the pastor resigned, and, and it was just, it was really ugly. So I remember coming home uh, to my wife. We had been married a couple weeks at the time, uh, maybe about three weeks or so at the time. And uh, I said to her, I said, she goes, how are you doing I, I said, well, sweetie, um, about three weeks ago, we held hands and we said vows. And we said, for richer or for poorer, we are not richer. Okay. <laughs> I lost my job. Now, my wife didn't have a green card yet. She couldn't work. Um, and so couldn't bring any income into the family. I, I, you were just married, you know, so we're literally living off wedding gifts, you know. So people who gave us a cash gift for a wedding, that paid our electric bill. <laughs> and we were very thankful for that. Um, and so that was a difficult time. But you know what was most frustrating about that time? Is that we would hear people say things that were completely not true, but no one would take the time to ask our side of the story. We had a college president come down, moderate a meeting without wanting to talk to me or the pastor. We thought, what? I mean, you, you're totally taking these other people's opinions and not even saying, okay, I'm hearing this. What, what's going on? I mean, this seems really bad here. You know, this is common because, you know, Proverbs says, you know, a man seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. And so, whether if it's work, if it's in your home, if it's with family members, if it's at church, wherever it is, seek truth, have conversations, because it's too easy to have a judgmental disposition towards other people, because that's our heart bent. So when, you know, your sibling says something about your other sibling, that they don't care about mom and dad because they're too busy on vacation, stuff like that, I've seen that happen. Instead, I mean... Have those conversations. Think the best of, of, of each other. Our last indisputable fact this morning is this. A judgmental disposition grieves God. So we've, we've built it. We said our hearts, uh, our speech reveals our hearts. Our hearts have a judge, are prone to judgmental disposition. Now judgmental disposition, we need to know it grieves God. God is grieved because we have ceased to obey him let me draw your attention back to the text. It says, but if you judge the law, verse 11, the last part of verse 11, if you judge the law, uh, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, that has language that reminds us of chapter 2, um, excuse me, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so he's saying there's that God is grieved because we have ceased to obey him. We're not doers anymore. And how can we truly show love to someone if we're too busy judging his or her motives and spiritual condition? 
And so in ceasing to obey God, we've become more like our enemy here because what he's talking about here is talking about slandering. He's talking about speaking evil against. And the word devil there means slanderer. So as we develop this idea, as we develop this habit in life, as we, if we allow our heart's disposition to go in that way, we become more like our enemy, more than like our father. So God is grieved because we have ceased to obey him. God is also grieved because we have exalted ourselves above him. He says there's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? We've become judges now rather than people who should be obeying the law. Our role is not to judge one another. Our role role is to love one another and to help one another and to encourage them. Now, I need to clarify here, we are told to make distinctions, and we are told to make, uh, uh, um, if someone is doing something that's sinful, we do need to call them on it and and speak to them in a spirit of love and and correct people with love. And so I'm not saying that there's this, that um, you can never speak about someone and say, hey, I think what you're doing is wrong here, and they can come back and say, well, you're not supposed to judge me. No, that's not what James is saying here. James is saying that this, we're, we're making a judgment on this person without having all the data, and we're speaking evil about somebody um, in an inappropriate way. There's only one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy, and that is God. But in terms of us then making, speaking evil against each other, we're setting ourselves above even where God has placed ourselves. And we're ignoring the fact that we live in the mercy of and patience of God. Second Thessalonians 3, 5 says this, I put it on the screen. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness, or that can be translated patience, of Christ. Do you, have you stopped to consider that you and I are living right now in this moment, in this very moment, we're sitting here, you're waiting for me to get done. We are, we are in this moment right now, we are living in the patience of Christ. That he is being patient with us in our sinfulness, in our, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our actions. He is being very patient with us and he's building us and he's, he's giving us grace. And then we are having, we are growing in Christ and, and then we are seeing uh, positive things happen in our lives spiritually. And that's all in the patience of Christ. We live in that. So why do we not extend that same grace and patience towards other people? We want people to do exactly what we think they should do right away, and and we don't show patience towards them. So judging others is a much deeper offense than just hindering your relationships with that person. This is a disposition that grieves God himself, and we cannot accept that. The person who are most prone to judge is the person God wants you to love. So whether it's a coworker, whether it's a sibling, whether it's another family member, whether it's a person in authority in the workplace or whatnot, that person you are most prone to judge is the person God wants you to love. Understand that. So if God can treat you with patience and mercy and love, shouldn't you show the same to your neighbor? We just need to treat others the way we want to be treated. Because here's the thing. When we go back to Christ and we see how Christ treated his enemies, when we see how Christ treated those around him, he was very loving, he was patient, he was kind. Did he, did he call out error? Absolutely. Did he stand for sin? No, he did not. Did he make unfair and rash judgments on people? 
No, he did not. That is the point I think James is saying. He says, you know, conflict comes. Here's where, here's where conflict comes. Is when we make rash decisions and we slander people and we talk about them or we listen to bad talk about other people and we, we take their opinion and we don't seek truth. That's how, that's how churches split. That's how there's disharmony in the home. That's how marriages are strained is when we do this right here. And James is saying, don't do this. Christ has saved you and he's exalted you. He's, he's put you in a position above this. Don't go back to that. Don't go back to that to be like the enemy. Be like Christ. So in conclusion, I'll just say this. James's command is more than just a call to hold our tongues. It's a call to pursue peace with one another. And we do this by assuming the best of each other until we have heard each other out and have displayed a willingness to discuss offenses rather than rushing to judgment. And so, how do we combat or how do we crush conflict? Let's be very cautious in our speech about others and to others. Let's assume the best and love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's be a doer of that law and not a judge over it, saying, uh, this law doesn't apply to the situation. No, it does apply. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let us pray. Father, I, this was a harder message in so many ways. One, because I know the disposition of my own heart. Also, I know how this could be easily misunderstood. But I do pray that we would take what James had for us. And that is just simply this, that we... Speak well of each other and love each other as ourselves and not seek to make judgments about each other. This is where conflicts will come. So please help us avoid this. Jesus, you want unity, and unity is hard work. Unity is not uniformity where we're all exactly the same. Unity means that in the presence of our differences, we have love for one another. So many times we allow the differences to make us judge one another and forgive us for that. So as we go back to work, as we interact with our families, we interact with other people at church, may these truths from James ring in our minds and shape us. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.